Welcome to the panel discussion, Government and Robotics, the shift from low-value to high-value work. Sponsored by UiPath. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Justin Herman, the Emerging Citizen Technology Office Lead at the General Services Administration, Adam Goldberg, the Executive Architect in the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation at the Treasury Department, Harrison Smith, the Acting Chief Procurement Officer for the IRS, and Jim Walker, the Director of Public Sector Marketing for UiPath. Let me set a little context for our discussion. The Office of Management and Budget expects the first progress reports from agencies on how they're moving employees off of low-value work and to high-value work sometime before the end of March. Agencies are on the hook to tell OMB their progress in terms of FTE, full-time equivalent hours, shifted to high-value work. OMB says if agencies implement significant shifts in resources that are not amenable to reporting in FTE hours, then well, then they should report cost savings instead. And OMB says if agencies are, use alternative method, methods, such as number of pages of reporting eliminated, when neither FTE hours nor cost savings is feasible. This is a key piece to the shift OMB wants agencies to make through the use of robotics process automation to reduce repetitive and administrative costs. And then there's a lot of hope around RPA as well and other emerging technologies. Deloitte Center for Government Insights said in 2017 that RPA could save agencies as much as $41.1 billion over the next seven years. But it's not just as simple as implementing software and changing processes. Research from Gartner offered eight recommendations for organizations before implementing RPA. Among those, identify and quantify the opportunities to use RPA to support digital transformation. Support the rule-based standardized processes that cross multiple systems, which need a non-intrusive approach to automation. Identify alternative existing tools or services and evaluate these solutions in parallel with RPA or use a hybrid solution and look to future AI-based options. And then on top of all that, there's the security factors agencies have to keep in mind. So as agencies, and there are many, begin to test and pilot RPA tools, these are just some of the things that are important as they move forward. And that's also where our guests are going to come in. They're going to tell us about their experiences and some of the potholes to avoid. Once again, our guests are Justin Herman, the, the Emerging Citizen Technology Office Lead at the General Services Administration, Adam Goldberg, the Executive Architect in the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation at the Treasury Department, Harrison Smith, Acting Chief Procurement Officer for the IRS, and Jim Walker, the Director of Public Sector Marketing for UiPath. I'm going to start at the far end of the table with Justin. Now, Justin, GSA is, is both using RPA, but you guys are also offering maybe the broader perspective on RPA yes. to help agencies who are interested. So give us an update of where you guys are at and how are you helping agencies. Well, just like you said, there's a couple of the different roles that's being played right now. Uh, and in the use itself, one of the more exciting programs to look at is in our CFO shop, the chief financial officer, um, who you don't often think of an office like that as having exciting emerging technologies and things like that. But what it has is ways in which processes can be greatly improved and they see that uh, and that's what makes it such a, a ripe area for deploying these. Uh, so right now they have six bots deployed that have freed up 17,000 labor hours uh, and are looking at more. Uh, and basically the strategy, and we see this across a, a number of agencies, is multi-phased where at first you start deploying small scale, five, six, test it out, start opening up and looking at not just the technology itself available because I and hopefully as we discuss a little bit it's an opportunity to relook our processes themselves um, so again this not is not just about the technology itself it's about process improvement in government and then of course once you learn these lessons once you understand how your operations do business better and where these opportunities are we look to phase two which is enterprise level implementation where instead of just having some bots here and there you you have a secure cloud environment that is able to then deploy many, or as we call, on commercial scale bots uh, that you see in some agencies. Like right now, we've been doing research looking into around three dozen agencies that have either tested or deployed on a small scale RPA. And a lot of people, they don't even know that government on such a scale is looking at it. So that's why we want to build up for FY19 and make sure that if it's at the tipping point and agencies are coming to the table and wanting to not just embrace an emerging tech, but rethink how we do business itself, and RPA could be a part of that, then we want to make sure that agencies have the best um, options available, not just for knowledge behind it, but acquisitions vehicles to buy it, and partners at the table in order to make that happen. 
the GSA example of the CFO's office, I've heard your CFO talk just recently at, a, at, a, at an event, and it's a fascinating story. But the, the number that stands out to me is the 17,000 labor hours. And I, I know uh, Gerard talked about adding more bots and doing more with it. Is that, is that there, though, not typical? What you're seeing more from your seat within GSA Emerging Technology is this one or two bots, or, or, or are they more typical? Well, I, I actually, I'm sure you're if anybody ask. else wants to, to jump in on that, but every organization, you're going to see different. And it comes down to the, and you'd mentioned OMB and how we're supposed to focus more on high value work than low value work. That's part of the analysis process. And one of the, both the benefits and the challenges is there's no shortage of processes in government that can be fixed or improved. So how are we identifying and prioritizing? Because we know that we can make things faster, but sometimes it's just a matter of making it better as well. Adam, I know that uh, the example was warm to your heart as a former person in the uh, financial world at OMB and now at Treasury. Uh, Treasury's also been out ahead of using bots. Maybe talk about your experiences so far and, and your, the strategy. Sure. Our journey really is going down two paths right now. We started roughly a year ago. Uh, path one was to first learn about the technology and put it into our platform at the fiscal service. So just make sure that we could get through all the security requirements in a test environment to make sure that we could understand the implications of that technology. The second path was more of a human capital side, which is trying to understand what are the appropriate processes to start with, which may not actually be the most appropriate processes to automate in the long term, but we wanted to make sure that we understood that technology. So the pilot approach uh, started with moving it into our test environment, uh, identifying seven business processes that we wanted to test the automation for, uh, and then actually executing against that. And we've been quite successful in that effort, and in fact, we're taking those um, those robots and moving them into our production environment. And they're doing things like reconciliations, um, account code entries, uh, system regression testing, uh, very uh, important activities, but things that have a high uh, amount of uh, human intervention within them. Uh, the, the, the end part is now we really want to promote what we've been doing and serve as a catalyst I think similar to GSA, uh, and look at other agencies exploring the technology and adopting it as well. As you went through the first phase of that and, and looked at, okay, how do I identify processes? My understanding from, from doing some research with the uh, Bureau of Fiscal Service over the last year or so is, is it was some hesitation, and then once you proved it once, wow, the door is open. Everybody was excited. Did you, did you start seeing that? once you showed that it could work and how it could work? It actually started before that because the first thing we did was sit down with the group that was going to have some of their activities automated and said, we want you to choose what you want to automate. And I think that immediately took away the concern from these folks as to you know whether this was something that was being forced upon them or this was something that they had to, uh, had the opportunity to have a say in long term. Uh, the other nice thing about what's happening at the fiscal service is this has been going on in our shared service organization, which is in fact in a growth mode right now because more agencies are searching out shared services. So there's lots of new opportunities coming in, into the door, but also RPA serves as an additional new type of capability that they get involved with. Jim, UiPath obviously has been one of the Contractors, one of the vendors that have been out in front of this, if you will, wave. And, and I'll call it a wave because over the last 20 years that I've been covering the federal government, mm -hmm. there's not been a technology that I would maybe uh, offer that has been taken up this quickly. Mm -hmm. There's always the, the let's dip our toe in it and see what happens. And, and just as you heard from, from Justin, 36 uh, different instances that they already know across the agencies. What are you seeing from your customers? What, what's, what, the tr what is the trend beyond more and more and more? Well, I'll pick it back a little bit on what Justin said about the, the, the toe in the water and the agencies doing their pilots. That's just good stewardship of taxpayer money. And so each agency being a little different, each agency has a slightly different policy on security, a different way that they want to manage people, unions and things like this, that lead them to say, let's try it. But we have seen a tremendous uptick when they do see it and, and the, the employees are saying, can it also do this? 
This is not one where the, the leadership of any of the agencies that we work with, 2830 right now, that is the leadership is saying they're going to have it whether they want it or not. A GSA story up in New York where they downloaded our, the software for free, put it on their personal laptops and showed it to their administrator who said, we need some of that. The work that Jennifer and the team is doing out in Parkersburg was complemented by the stuff that Treasury did with their incubator program. Where they put five teams together and said, just go find some software and see how that software works for you. I mean, really more of a bottoms-up versus a top-down type of approach. I do think it's probably time, given the president's request for a 5% across-the-board cut, it's time for the leadership to start looking at RPA to say, for the first time ever, let's do a cut and improve our service delivery. Let's increase our ability to do more work. Let's give better service to the citizenry. Let's do cross and interagency activities better, all at the same time when we're cutting. It's interesting that you talk about the bottoms-up approach. For me, again, go looking back, a lot of the, the changes in technology has been a, a top-down over the years, whether it's cloud, you know, cloud first, or whether it was cybersecurity, we had a breach, now now do it, you know, do better with cyber. Do you think it's bottoms-up because the, the employees from your experiences are saying, there's just not enough of us? And even if we went on a hiring spree, which it wasn't going to happen, there was a hiring freeze, that <clears throat> agencies would, if you will, they just saw they saw that the benefits were real and they recognized that they weren't going to get more people so okay how do we do the work that we have because the work's growing i mean is is that where it's bottoms up in your opinion yeah i think so first of all they're able to access it in a way that you couldn't access software 15 years ago right and so they're able to because i'm sorry because it's open source or some of it is or because because the the different vendors in our case we've got an academy that you can log on to and do experiential type coding uh, along with another hundred thousand people who are enrolled in it and collaborate so for for this new generation if you will the millennial group that is used to a collaborative world they thrive on that right and in addition to that it it does allow for me to take that work that nobody pridefully goes home and says, as, as Treasury, we used to do a, a purchase re, um, reconciliation every morning, and it would take two hours, and they now can do that in 11 to 12 seconds. They didn't want to do that work, but it was necessary to do the actual mission of Treasury, which was to get the reconciliation done. We, we free people up now to do people work and give the robotic work back to the bots. I don't know who doesn't want to do reconciliation. Uh, I want to get to Harrison, but quickly, uh, Justin, jump in. I just wanted to piggyback on that. One of the things is you don't have to be an expert coder in order to implement this. And that's one of the, the big things that we see and why it's catching on with excitement. I know if I'm having a, a rough day at work, I can go up to the CFO shop and just be instantly excited. <laughs> because, again, it's, it's what we always said good tech was going to be, which is empowering the federal workforce. Uh, and while obviously, especially once you get to the enterprise level, you'll have it operated by IT. This is something that truly could be understood, deployed, and actualized by the program managers themselves. Uh, and in a way, and it's kind of funny that that disparity between usually having questions on RPA on how it's threatening to people, but once things are actually deployed, it's a freeing and empowering thing that helps us do our jobs better. I don't think everyone's ever said, I go to the CFO shop and get excited at them. Uh, Harrison, jump in. You're the kind of maybe the... Uh, uh, bring it from a different angle of the procurement side and, and how you guys are starting to look at robots to really to improve the procurement process. No, I mean, I think that uh, although from the CFO shop, people don't go and get excited, but from a procurement standpoint, man, everybody comes in, high fives all around. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I think that what you're hearing is a fairly consistent reference. It's not just technology, right? It's the manner in which we take a look at how things are done, uh, the mindset behind it. I mean, from our perspective, over the past five or, or six or seven years, we've lost 40% of the workforce. We still process roughly 10,000 transactions and issue roughly $2.5 billion in obligations. Pretending that you can do the same type of work in the same fashion and get the same outcome with 40% less resources uh, is, to put it lightly, asinine. You have to be able to change and to shift. And, and what we've done is the same kind of bottom-up. Let's see if it works, right? But I think one of the fundamental differences with RPA and this type of technology that we're seeing today is that you've got a situation where you can take off a relatively small bite. Right? It's all it has to do with the, it's fairly affordable, right? And from a procurement standpoint, one of the ironies that drives us to do things better is that if we can't figure out how to purchase emerging tech, uh, test it and deploy it in, in fairly straightforward manner, then we're shooting ourselves in the foot. If it took us 12 to 18 to 24 months to buy RPAs, 
that would be completely ironic. So I mean, what we looked is we looked at a, a set of transactions that there really is, it's an important task because it needs to be done, right? But at the end of the day, I don't need an individual to sit and go into a public website and type in an eight to 12 digit number 10,000 times a year. It's just not something that I need them to do. They need to be able to track that to do the appropriate things in accordance with the regulations. But if a bot can generate that analysis and say, hey, you're good, go ahead and process the paperwork here, or hey, you need to take a look at this, um, the ROI that we're talking about, the return on investment, is roughly 10x relative to the cost in the man hour. So it's something where we, we may save up to 7,500 to 10,000 man hours a year. So it's an ongoing basis. And I think once we get to that point as organizations, you create this virtuous circle, right? There's the concept of theory of constraints and those types of things. But you've got a situation where there's a lot of other work that I could be doing. I could be engaging with my customer earlier. I could be engaging with industry earlier. I could be engaging with, with whomever it is and freeing up our time and resources to do those things which are more valuable and often, frankly, more exciting for the individuals who are involved. Uh, I think it's a fundamental change in how we, how we do business. Harrison, talk maybe a little bit how you guys are, what's your strategy right now with the IRS? Uh, how many bots or do you have them in production yet or yeah. still in testing? So, great question. So, we are definitely at the nascent, uh, nascent stages here. Um, we awarded a contract last year for a singular bot um, and, frankly, procurement is the guinea pig. Um, so this is one of the areas where folks have actually gone through in terms of cloud deployment and, and, and technical checks and security checks. That's what we're going through right now. Uh, what I'm really excited about is, is the fact that I've seen sometimes in the way these types of technology are deployed, we say, okay, come test it in 9 to 12 months. Uh, I think our first test is next month to make sure that it works for the user and to make sure it works from a security standpoint. Uh, marrying up those capabilities, I think, is really, really important. So we're definitely in the nascent stages trying to figure out how it's going to work best. Um, but they're really, from a procurement organization standpoint, there are all kinds of ideas that we have. CFO, we were actually talking about it earlier today, personnel security clearance processes. You know, sometimes our, occasionally, sometimes our, our, our IT systems don't talk to one another. So being able to manage that, not with somebody taking a piece of paper, taking a, a printout from one system and typing it into the next, um, there's not a whole lot of value out there. It needs to be done. Uh, but the more we can have, find an efficient way to do that, the more we can free up resources to really attack things that are going to support our customer. All right, there's plenty to talk to. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll jump back in. You're listening to the panel discussion, Government and Robotics, the shift from low-value to high-value work, sponsored by UiPath, on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Do you know why robots are here? So we are free to do the things we love. So we don't spend hours and days and weeks doing one tedious thing after another. The truth is, this is the ultimate collaboration. Robots do all the boring backroom stuff, so we don't have to. We can dream big and push ourselves to be our best versions. So that everyone progresses, everyone wins. Welcome back to the panel discussion, Government and Robotics, the shift from low-value to high-value work, sponsored by UiPath on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. My guests today are Justin Herman, the Emerging Citizen Technology Office Lead in the General Services Administration, Adam Goldberg, the Executive Architect in the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation at the Treasury Department, Harrison Smith, the Acting Chief Procurement Officer for the IRS, Jim Walker, the Director of Public Sector Marketing for UiPath. We learned in the first segment a lot about where things are and where maybe each of you guys are going with, with robotics and, and the role it plays. Uh, let me turn to Jim and let me broaden this a little bit. And one of the things that came up that I, I brought up and, and we talked a little bit about is, is why RPA? Why, why is it working? Why are people so excited about it? And I think one of the reasons that I brought up was the, the, the personnel issue, the hiring freezes and the inability to hire. And, and Harrison brought up the fact that IRS lost 40,000 employees over the last decade or so. Um, but Talk a little bit from your perspective. When you talk to agencies, when, when, you, when the door opens and you walk in and, and you guys present why UiPath or why, any, why RPA, what's different for you? What are you seeing? Well, so we have a, a, a cloud-first you know, mentality in the government. We have an automation-first mentality. And in order to do that, take the diversity of this table and any other panel that you put together with RPA. It's not CIO A, CIO B, and CIO C. It's CFO, it's CXO, it's CTO. It's a business unit down. It's a shared service. This is the first time when we've had a software that wasn't built for a thing. This is not SAP built for financials. This is not a calendar program for executive assistance to use for calendar. It's a, an application now that can be used by almost anyone in the workplace, and it can be used for anything you want to use it for. That's completely and totally different from any other software we procured in the past. 
we always bought database software to do database, and it promised never to be your word processor. You know, and now we have a piece of software that says, I'll do whatever you want, when you'd like for it to be done, and I promise to rigorously only do what you tell me to do. This is not artificial intelligence and deep learning and all that. It's repetitive, routine tasks that you say, please do this at this time. Justin, Jim. Yeah, I, mean, I don't. I don't want to add anything too controversial into this, but I mean, agencies will come and they'll say things like, "Oh, I've been reading about AI. I've been reading about all these great emerging technologies." Network, uh, yeah, right? and I need it in my organization. And a lot of times, and comparing is that when we're talking about the practical application today for IT modernization, how you're going to do more with less, the challenges that we have. A lot of times, people will come to the table talking and asking about things around things like AI. But that what they really need and what they start deploying is RPA. Uh, and so not only is it something that is affecting and delivering and has the potential to today on process improvement, but it's also a stepping stone and a foundation of other things and next things like intelligent automation uh, and things. And so, again, when we're looking, and you mentioned earlier about how there's just such a rush right now, it's because agencies over the last few years have done a wonderful job really opening up the scope and the mind and the toolbox on realizing all the different things that are at the table technology-wise to help them solve their problems, but when it comes right now, things that are applicable and accessible for them to deploy in order to meet their FY19 goals, if an agency isn't looking at RPA, I would, I would encourage them to. Harrison, the procurement world is not known to take risks. I'm just going to put that out there. What are you, what are you saying? Harrison? I'm saying <laughs> that maybe sometimes people in the procurement world are a little risk averse. And did you find that as you started to say, hey, we're going to try this out, we're going to go down this path, were, were, did you have some contracting officers or contract specialists go, well, what do you mean it's going to mm -hmm. pull data from SAM.gov and put it right into my contract? I have to do that. Right. Uh, what was the reaction? Because I think just to play off of Jim and, and what Justin were saying about this is a software for everyone and not mm -hmm. just for the mm -hmm. tech world. Yeah, no, I think that there's there's certainly some part of that because we're human beings and we don't really really appreciate change very often. Uh, and I think it's it's interesting to make the distinction between change and loss, right? I don't want to have a loss of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, right? I don't want to have a loss of who I am within the workforce. But I think that that changes fundamentally when you talk about almost the ubiquitous nature of an expert in this arena. Right, we're looking for folks who are experts at processing procurement transactions. We're looking for folks that are experts at processing financial transactions. And so when it turns into this, what can we do to help you do your job better? Well, I wish I didn't have to do this and type in a number in eight separate websites. Okay, there's a technology that we can help you do that. Um, and when you have that conversation about the, the, the folks, the CXO, the CIO, the CPO, they are not the experts. The experts are the individuals who are supporting the customer on a day-to-day -day, uh, day -day basis. That's where they really, really get it. And then folks start to get excited about it. They're like, wait, can we use it for this? And you have this conversation, yes, what is our return on investment going to be? How are we going to save things? And it really helps get that engine of innovation and excitement going within an organization where you say, hey, if you've got a great idea, bring it forward and make a recommendation on how to use the technology, because then we can do things like this, then we can do things like that. Um, I think that's one of the fundamental shifts, and, and really the risk portion, we talked about this a little bit briefly, but the cost in the deployment time is relatively low. Right? We're not talking about 12 to 18 to 24 months to develop, pick a major IT system. This is something where it's small enough where we can say, hey, I spent X number of dollars on this, I spent three to four to five months, it didn't work. Let me turn it off, let me shut it down. And as long as we get there from a procurement standpoint, which is obviously where we come in, where we can turn it off quickly if it's not working and move on to the next item, that's okay. It's these long five-year engagements where we tend to get ourselves into difficulty. So I think that combination of having the experts at the base level uh, and also the time with which you can s demonstrate success, hopefully, or frankly say, hey, that's not working right now, let's turn it off and pivot a different direction. That's, that's really one of the fundamental differences. Jim, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to throw you a curveball, so I'm, I'm warning you now. All right. Generally speaking, and it's, I know you can't blanket every single agency and every single customer, but what's, what's, what's the time it takes to go from, I want this, to it's, it's at least being tested? Is it a week? Is it a month? Is it a six months? Do you get a, can you give me a, a trend? Yeah, so I think um, Drew Morgan over at NASA Film last week was talking about it takes about a year. So I would say it, it depending upon your appetite for risk, it's six months to a year. 
six months says you do the NASA thing where you give it a PIV card and you get it out there and you watch it and you monitor it and you do all the things that you need to do, but you're not afraid of it. And a year is probably when you need to put it through all of your stakeholders to make them comfortable that when you tell it to go do five things, it only does those five. So, so it's not six months from the signed contract, but it, it, that's the testing, getting used to it period. That's the shows that it can work. That, that that's right. Yeah, you should. Almost any agency that uses it from the day they go into production should start seeing a return on investment in probably five to nine months. Okay. Right. And and so that's nice compared to other software that takes years to get installed, mm -hmm. and then when it's done, you're already a million dollars ahead of your plan and and a year behind. But but the ability to say we've got it procured, we've got it installed, let's let's do a software. The development time is very minimal compared to anything else we've done before. Harrison. Yeah, I think another area that you really look at in terms of why there's there's such an interest in this is frankly the data, the data visibility and the transparency of the audit trail, right? right. Um, if you get into a situation where everybody wants to have more data, everybody wants to understand better where things are, if it's a set of individuals doing that across disparate offices, you've got to frankly stop them from doing their work, say where's your spreadsheet, where's your post-it note, where's your, where's your trail of the transactions that you issued, as opposed to when it's a bot, you can say hi, this is going to be part of the process. You've got to be able to spit this out every transaction, every day, every six days, every whatever it is, and so you've got that tangible feedback into what's going on, what were the results, how am I doing? And ironically, that cycle frees you up to make more informed decisions about what you're doing. I mean, frankly, one of the uh, activities that's listed within the IRS strategic plan is robotic process automation for a lot of the reasons that we're talking about here. Adam, I want to bring you into the conversation because one of the things that, that you went through earlier on, seven areas you initially identified as potential for bots. And I want, you know, we were talking about how great they are, right? You know, you can turn them on, put them going, but it doesn't mean they're perfect for everything. Talk about your experience in terms of hey, w across these seven, maybe five were good, or four were good, w what did you guys find out? Well, we actually started with a, a larger list. I think we might have started with 14. Uh, and because of some time constraints, particularly around the security side of getting this loaded on our, our equipment, we, we shrunk that down to about seven. Um, but looking at it, what we want to make is a couple judgments, one of which is, can we get the bot to work? And is this the right process for the bot to perform uh, on the organization's behalf. For example, there were instances where I read that we wanted to use a bot for reconciliation. Uh, and we could make it work. The question became, do I need to do this reconciliation or is this just something that we have historically done because I had one problem 10 years ago <laughs> and should I continue to do it? Uh, and that's really one of the trade-offs that we have to make. The other question is, we have lots of, uh, to, to what Harrison was saying earlier, lots of software that we spent hundreds of millions of dollars implementing. And the other question is, am I automating something that the software, so am I creating a bot for something that the software should be doing for me already? And those are a lot of things that the agencies have to uh, make sure that they're looking at, which is, am I making the most of the existing technology infrastructure I have, or am I just adding an additional layer that may be unnecessary? It's interesting, because what I hear a lot of times about cybersecurity is, oh, I didn't know that, oh, I need a firewall tool, oh, now I need an antivirus tool, and then I need something else, and oh, well, didn't you know your firewall tool also does antivirus? Oh, no, I didn't know that. So, so there's almost an education piece, and, and maybe that's a question for Jim or, or, or Justin, how much education has to go into what current what do you currently have versus also yeah. adding more i mean justin jump in well i, I was actually just yesterday <clears throat> discussing this with uh, ed burroughs who's in gsa cfo office and is my patron saint of automation <laughs> uh and he was saying because again is the technology allows greater look at process improvement itself and one of the things that he's noticed is they're going in and looking and analyzing their processes to see what might, might be right for automation they've discovered sometimes processes that it's not that it should be automated it should be deleted entirely uh, and so and that's one of the just the you know again exciting ancillary benefits of this where it's just not about the tech it's about that larger being able to kick the tires again of our programs look at priorities uh, and see what 
what's good for automation, what's obviated entirely uh, and is not needed anymore, versus also, and just like you said, what can be repurposed using existing technologies. So RPA is not just delivering a new tool into the toolbox, it's empowering all of our processes and all the other tools. Adam, jump in. Yeah, so we, you know, we talk about moving things from you know, low value to high value, and I think what Justin's touching on here is one of the high value things that we need to do is be more analytic about what we're doing. So today we give someone a task and they just automatically perform it because we've told them to. Yeah. One of the first steps in RPA is having that person take a step back mm -hmm. and ask themselves, why have I been doing this? And you know, while it might be a small analytic step, it is an analytic step that we, we may have been ignoring over time. Data-driven decision-making. Absolutely. And, and Jim, jump in. Yeah, so Jason, you, you had mentioned the word security, and that seems to be the real barrier right now for a lot of agencies. Uh, it's just, they just can't wrap their arms around. If we were talking about how on you know Space Odyssey 2000, well, that's one thing. We're talking about a software code that promises to do what it's told to do. And we're doing it in processes that we do today. So it's not as if we're creating something new. We're taking Mary or Mike's work where they remote into a distant server, pull down a file, open that spreadsheet up, do a reconciliation, put it all back. So any PII data, any files and security, any access and all that for the bot is done exactly the way they would do it, except you have less eyes looking at that data. You have a great deal of certainty that it's only going to be done one way. You don't have Mary and Mike thinking that their way is a better way. And so you actually bring a, a better security posture to your organization by the fact that less people see the data and that you know that it's being repeated the way that you wanted it to be done and not a way that you think it should be done. Yeah, I, mean, I think that, consi that consistency is also a huge thing. Like one of the, one of the areas you, you joked about procurement being somewhat risk averse occasionally, not always, but occasionally. But you've got a situation where consistency is often um, the exact area that we're, excuse me, goal that we have. And so when you start taking away some of the opportunities um, for uh, unnecessary or unintentional variances, so because that doesn't necessarily add value. I mean, it could add a little bit of value, but it's really not worth the risk uh, the risk return. Uh, I think it's really important from a procurement standpoint, from a CFO standpoint, where, hey, we don't want to have any errors. We don't want to have any fat fingers. We don't want to have any, uh, Mary had a bad day, Bob didn't know how to do this, Harrison's an idiot and can't figure this out. Right, you've got a situation where if you tell the bot to do one, two, three, it will do one, two, three, and it's boring, and it's rigid, and it's inflexible, and it's a lot of things that you don't normally want a person to be, but it does exactly what it's supposed to do when it tells you when you tell it to and, do it. And the bot doesn't go to the bathroom, and it doesn't take lunch breaks, and it can work. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of different ways to go with that. Right. But yes, it, yes. It, 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 you know, the excitement of that is our people that are out there trying to serve citizens today have to do 100% of that work today. With a bot, whenever it doesn't understand what to do, it passes the one or two back to people to reconcile, to resolve that issue. And so they are fresh. They haven't done 98 of them and said, I'm kind of tired, I'm ready to go home, and the last two get less than quality service. You get 98 that were very rigid, that were very exactly done the way you wanted them to, and those two outliers, someone's going to pick up with a fresh set of eyes and say, I'm happy to be doing these two. Bring up security, Jim, and, and maybe let me turn to Justin on this. Is, is that a discussion you're having quite often with uh, agency customers who are coming to you and saying, hey, we want to do RPA, but we're worried about PII, or, or do we have to get a credential? And, and, and I've heard there's some rumor that OMB may be having a policy about RPA eventually, but without asking you to comment on that directly, what are you hearing from agencies? I <clears throat> I can't uh, speculate on anything. I'm just saying, if there was a policy, yeah. <laughs> if an agency wasn't coming to the table and bringing up things like security and PII and proper due process and management, that would be the problem. Uh, that's not just RPA. This is sound IT management itself, and that's part of why RPA development is such an interdisciplinary sport uh, within agencies. Because obviously the mission. It's coming from the program managers, but you have to be friends with the CIO shop. You have to be friends with IT. You have to have these people at 
the table, and not just as an after effect. It has to be baked in from the start, not just because it's it's the sound way to manage IT, but also especially because it's new, and especially because there's questions. We want to make sure that we're showing that foot forward and can be able to answer the tough questions. All right, we're going to take a quick break and hold that thought, Jim. We're going to come back and continue. You're listening to the panel discussion. Government and Robotics, the shift from low-value to high-value work, sponsored by UiPath on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Do you know why robots are here? So we are free to do the things we love. So we don't spend hours and days and weeks doing one tedious thing after another. The truth is, this is the ultimate collaboration. Robots do all the boring backroom stuff, so we don't have to. We can dream big and push ourselves to be our best versions so that everyone progresses, everyone wins. Welcome back to the panel discussion, Government and Robotics, the shift from low value to high value work, sponsored by UiPath on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Justin Herman, the Emerging Citizen Technology Office Lead at the General Services Administration, Adam Goldberg, the Executive Architect in the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation at the Treasury Department, Harrison Smith, the Acting Chief Procurement Officer for the IRS, and Jim Walker, the Director of Public Sector Marketing for UiPath. Toward the end of that segment, we started to discuss a little bit about security, and, and it came up just kind of peripherally. So let's del- jump into it maybe a little deeper. Jim, as you guys are working with your clients, and, and as Justin said, you can, security has to be among the first things that's talked to. What are you hearing? Are, are, is the security piece, again, the hardest part of any new technology, or is it easier because in some ways the bots are doing as they're told versus having access to all kinds of databases and data and and outside internet and all the things that we commonly worry about well the value that the each agency is going through with their proof of concepts or their pilots is that they're getting an opportunity to see exactly that that the promise of it's not going to do anything bad is just a promise and until an agency sees it and realizes that it's only doing and automating what you were doing manually any access that the bot has is access that Mark or Mary have today. If they can do something bad, the bot can't, right? Because they can stop in midstream of a process and do something different. That bot's going to execute from one end to the other. But the other thing that we're seeing is, is that real pathfinders amongst the government agencies right now are looking for ways to securely use their robotics. In the case of NASA, they decided to issue cat cards for George Washington and John Adams. Right? And they monitor that. In the case of some Department of Defense organizations, they keep all of their robotics within their own network. So they don't need that access to access distant systems, and they're able to apply different security requirements to those and are able to use them. So while the 1823 memo from OMB said use robotic process automation, they have not come out yet with the suggestion on how to use it securely. True leaders and thought leaders out there that are trying to make it work are looking for ways to securely make it work. And I imagine as you talk to your customers, it's case by case. It's it's how the chief information officer, how the chief information security officer, how the program people feel. And they may say, yeah, we need more security because this data is PII or this data is sensitive. It could be, you know, if it's, if it's general ledger data versus if it's procurement data where they're just grabbing the the... the the SAM.gov number yeah. or something. Is, right. that, is that the conversation? Yeah, oh, a beautiful example is you think of any CFO's office, they're used to this idea of segregation of duties. And two people are doing an activity because if one person does it, there could be collusion and problems and this type of thing. Well, uh, many agencies are saying, let's buy two bots to make sure we have a segregation of duties, when there's actually no technical way for the one bot to collude with itself, (laughs) right? It only executes a stream, and when it's done with that, it executes the other one. But because of, as um, Harrison said earlier, the, the... the cost of doing this business is so much cheaper than other things we've done. Buying that second bot so that people just feel comfortable is worth that investment to just help them get on board with, we should be doing more automation because we want to deliver better services. Now, we don't have a CIO or even a CISO on our panel, so it's kind of refreshing in some ways, But I, so I won't get into the technical, uh, I won't ask you too many technical questions, but how are you guys at the IRS dealing with the security piece? What was the discussions have been around bots? Well, I think the beauty of, of, of what the CIO really really worked with us on here was the fact that hey, we're not entirely sure because this is the first time we're, I mentioned we're in the nascent stages, um, really identifying, hey, this is what we need to pay attention to. This is how we're going to work, perhaps a credentialing or perhaps not. 
biting off a very, very small portion of that elephant and saying, let's, let's test this now, let's test this incrementally, almost in an agile uh, approach, and find out what it is that we don't know, right? Found out, find out what we need to pay attention to and engage the CISO and engage these folks. Uh, and so what we're able to do from a procurement standpoint is buy it fairly quickly. Um, not fairly, we bought it really quickly. Uh, from solicitation to award was 10 days. Um, it's a commercial item, we should be able to move quickly on this and, and we were able to do so. But creating an environment where we can talk to the folks, the, uh, and, you know, the end customer, the user, the CISO, the CIO, whoever the stakeholders are, uh, in, in almost a microcosm uh, before we expand it and build it out. So that, that's, that's what we were pursued. And Adam, from the Bureau of Fiscal Services perspective, as you guys got the bots together, how, what was the security conversation like, just generally speaking? Sir, to your point, I'll, I'll stay away from anything about like 1.27 gigawatts. Thank you. Uh, stay away from it. <laughs> so the first thing, as I, I said earlier, there were really two paths that we were going down. Path one was the IT path. Path two was the human capital path. And on the IT path, we first had to understand what or whether there were any implications of bringing that software into our test environment. Uh, and that was really stage one, and what did it take to make that happen? Uh, and we worked very closely with our IT organization because it's not uh, a technology that they were familiar with working with in the past, so they also had to learn it to make sure they understood what was going on. Then we had to understand what are the re requirements in terms of credentialing that bot, and I had to make sure that I got credentials for it. I don't think it takes any less time to credential a bot than it takes to credential a person, so I'm still limited by that time. Um, and so we were working through the, some of those technical issues in our, in our test environment uh, in, in the first part. Now we're moving the bots into production. So that requires an additional level of scrutiny uh, that needs to occur uh, because any risks are much greater in our production environment than they are in our test environment. And this is something that we're working very closely with our, our Chief Information Security Officer on. Uh, we have to go through the appropriate security impact assessments uh, to make sure that there is no risk or challenge that's raised by going into that final environment. So, you know, on any uh, PIV card or, or credential card that you see, you all have pictures on yours. Does the bot have a picture? I, I can't disclose You can't that. disclose that. <laughs> That'd be awesome if you could. You could. Confirm nor deny. Confirm or deny the picture. So Jason, Jim. Something that makes unique in the public sector, especially in federal, is you can't talk about RPA without your CIO. Right? You guarantee yourself failure if you don't integrate your CIO on early. Now, you've got to make sure you help your CIO not to be a, say no, but the CIO, because of FISMA, has a requirement to build you a server to check the network on that, to do the security scans for it. But the, the CIO is not required to do the building of the process and to determine when you want to change your process and use that for your line of business. And so a true partnership is required here like it's never been required before because you can have your CFO train their own staff to build their own processes to automate themselves, but they can't do it unless the CIO provides them this legally required software and hardware platform to do it on. Justin, one of the things about this whole process and the security piece, but, but it goes even broader than that, is what's it mean to the workforce? Because it's not just, as, as Jim was saying, you got to bring in this, the, the CIO in the CISO world, but it, it's really the, the bigger impact. And I think uh, Harrison said it earlier, you, you have to show it's not being done to you, but done with you. Yes. So talk a little about what, what GSA's experience, whether with the CFO's office or what you're seeing from agency customers around this idea of the reskilling and what it means to the workforce. Yeah, this is actually um, one of the ways it just, again, blows me away on what CFO has been doing at GSA is the reskilling and the training. Because it's one thing to say, okay, there's RPA, we want to just swipe our cards, buy everything. They specifically focused on reskilling and making sure that people in the process itself are empowered to be able to understand and operate these bots. Uh, and that's part of like a larger ongoing education effort. And like I said, Ed Burroughs, uh, who's over there, and we talk often on this, always explains just how again, the level of excitement and empowerment that's coming from the workforce, where at first people, again, might be intimidated. Um, and it's easy in technology when you're a program manager who's non-technical to be intimidated by all these new solutions coming to the table. And that's why in order to see it successful, like NBA legend Shaquille O'Neal said, don't fake the funk on a nasty dunk. Don't 
go halfway on this in any way. You start with the CIO shop. You start with approaching your workforce and empowering them on it. And then once you bring that together, then you have a great chance, not 100% sure of it working, because again, you test it, maybe you have to pull the plug, but you're giving yourself the absolute best opportunity to really bring people together and again, focus on process improvement itself. And I think the, the key part here is bringing the people together. And, and, and Harrison, maybe talk through this a little bit as you guys brought it to the workforce and, and brought it to the procurement shop. Were there, were there some naysayers? Or were they? What was the reaction from the workforce? And hey, we'll no longer have to do these you know eight database you know type in numbers over and over again. The, the response from the team has, has really been incredible. Uh, I mean, as soon as they they've started to understand. Wait, so you mean that I? don't have to do those set of processes anymore and I still get the same outcome. Um, we, they're amazed by that, they're excited by that. Um, from the IRS perspective, uh, the shift into Q4 spending um, has been pretty pretty bad um, over the past couple of years, something that we're working on. Uh, but over the past five years, we've doubled the percentage of obligations that has happened in September. We went from 13% to about 25%. So again, going back to the first comment that I made is we can't expect to, to do the same set of actions in the same way with less time and fewer people and, and have the same outcome. Uh, it's really not something that we work on. And what we talk about within the procurement team is the concept of, of procurement as CX. Uh, and I think how you dovetail really quickly out of the low value to high value ad work, but also the cap goal on customer engagement and customer experience. When you start to have a mindset that says, hey, let me find out why I'm taking this transaction, why I'm doing these actions that Adam and Justin were talking about earlier, um, RPA is the enabling technology. It's the mindset, it's the workforce behind that mindset that really drives it. We took uh, a situation where we got rid of 800 pages of procurement policy over the course of a year. 800 pages is a lot to begin with, but when you understand that that's 84% of our procurement policy, um, that's really impressive. That's really impressive what folks have been able to do. And again, if you go back to the experts on the process, you say, hey, how can we make your life easier? How can we make you more efficient? Uh, virtually everybody is going to say, you're trying to make my life easier. You're trying to make my life more consistent. Awesome. How can I get on board? It's a great number, 84%. 84%. We're going to follow up with you on that another time. Yes, sir. Um, Jim, talk maybe about the workforce side of this as well. How do you get people ensure that there's not this resistance and and what's the incentive beyond you know what we always hear save money efficiency and effectiveness yes so if, if I'm an employee out there today and listening in a webinar I'm listening on a webinar I've got my iPhone going I'm trying to do my emails I know I've got work to get done and I'm not focused on any one thing but if I know that sitting back in my office a bot is doing those 99 things for me repetitively and it's going to have the one thing I need or that a report is being generated from the quarterly financial transactions and so I get in first thing in the morning to look at it and see an outlier and I'm picking up the phone and calling somebody saying what's this outlier so that we can speed through the process of understanding our budget these are things you can't do today because you're busy doing robotic work Adam, talk maybe a little bit about how RPA, for at least the Bureau of Fiscal Service and, and Treasury more broadly, is setting up for the longer term. It, it's, you know, there's always, you don't move to cloud for cloud's sake, you don't implement technology for technology's sake, but what's RPA meaning for you guys, uh, over, you know, three to five years from now, if you will? Sure. Uh, you know, we're, we're really at the beginning of our journey, so just going into production now, but I would say even though we haven't gotten our full start, there's more demand uh, for what we people want to do in robotics and there is supply with our organization at the moment. Um, there's also the question as to how we want to implement a robotics program. Do I want to do it as an enterprise or do I want to do it by each individual stovepipe in the organization kind of starting up its own robots? So there's a lot of consideration that we need to take into moving forward. Uh, but I think one thing is clear is that from the employee standpoint, uh, we've couched it, we've um, approached it in a way that they see the robotics as a new opportunity for them, whether in the digital world or a new opportunity in terms of career advancement. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really something that's important in the long term, is that the workforce understands that there are new opportunities for them uh, that, that are different from what they're being asked to do today. 
Is that refreshing a little bit that there's more uh, demand than supply? People want it, and, and you, it, it's 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 maybe a little frustrating because you can't go as fast as you want, but it's refreshing that, that, that there's so much excitement. Well, it, typically, you know, my experience in the last 25 years of implementing financial systems, there's usually not that much enthusiasm <laughs> for implementing a financial system, but there is enthusiasm about robotics, and I think because robotics itself yeah. sounds like a sexy term, I think in and of itself, it's something that people are drawn to. And I think that's part of the attraction. Right. Just, I'm going to break the glass. No one during this entire conversation has brought up Skynet. So uh, I'm, I'm proud of all of you. But uh, talk a little bit about the, the, you know, step back from your perspective of GSA's emerging technology side. And what's this mean for the, the broader government in terms of reaching certain goals and improving customer service, as an example? Again, so we can take the technology itself out of it. Let's look at what every single government agency is facing right now on the table. We have more that we have to do than ever, and people are going to be asked to do it with less. RPA is just one of the things, when used correctly, that is going to help be an answer for this, and can be. So one thing you talk when used correctly, and I think that's a, yeah. that's a key point, and, and Adam brought this up earlier, you know, not everything's RPA friendly. Are you seeing agencies kind of sometimes coming to GSA asking for help on things that maybe isn't RPA friendly, or, or, or is there a trend maybe that you're seeing around kind of what the ask is, or is, is yeah. the education process? So overall, like a trend that we see uh, is increasing, especially in the emerging technologies office. You have people, and it's a good thing, coming to the table with problems that they've always had, but now there's their belief, and sometimes because of artificial intelligence, sometimes because of RPA, uh, you can go down the list of these different technologies, but the exciting trend, and I, I feel like that's the adjective of the day, which is kind of weird for something that seems like mundane and, you know, data uh, service, uh, not data services, but computation and all the mundane things that get automated, but we keep coming back to excitement on it, is that people who are non-technical now feel like there's things out there that they can do to make their jobs better, their missions better, increase not just um, efficiencies and effectiveness, but increase citizen satisfaction with services themselves directly today, not three to five years from now or anything like that. Now, what we would say to any agency then, when we're talking to CIO shops, so you're talking to program managers or non-technical senior leaders, legal counsel, anyone down the pike, is that what we need to do is harness that excitement, and again, it's the sound management of this. No one's going from zero to five million dollars investment in RPA in one year. And if someone came to the table and said that they were interested in that, that in itself is probably one of the problems. And that's why you see, and we talk about these experiences, people start incrementally, because it's not just introducing a new tech, it's introducing a new way of doing business. But ultimately, we're seeing the movement forward. All right, unfortunately we're out of time. This has been a fascinating conversation. Obviously we could talk a lot longer. But uh, let me thank my guests for today. You've been listening to the panel discussion, Government and Robotics, the shift from low value to high value work, sponsored by UiPath, a Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I've been your host, Jason Miller. Let me thank my guests for today, Justin Herman, the Emerging T Citizen Technology Office Lead at the General Services Administration, Adam Goldberg, the Executive Architect in the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation at the Treasury Department, Harrison Smith, the Acting Chief Procurement Officer for the IRS, and Jim Walker, the Director of Public Sector Marketing for UiPath. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search UiPath Robotics. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Government and Robotics, the shift from low-value to high-value work, sponsored by UiPath on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.